Welcome back to the I'm Moving to Italy podcast. This is Nathan Heinrich, and I would like to welcome you back to Season 3, Episode 7. Well, did you watch the closing ceremony of the Olympics yesterday? I'm very sorry to say that I did not catch it. I think it happened in the morning before I turned on the TV, and then the whole rest of the day I was waiting for it to come on TV. It never did. So I missed the closing ceremony of the Olympics. But fortunately, I caught the opening ceremony and I caught quite a bit of the Olympics for the last couple of weeks. So anyway, Italy came in 13th place overall with two gold medals, seven silver medals, and eight bronze medals for a total of 17 medals in total. So that's nothing to be ashamed of. In fourth place was the United States at a total of eight gold medals, 10 silver medals, 7 bronze, total of 25 medals overall. And then in third place, the United States is slipping a little bit. In third place is China, the host country. So China got 9 gold medals, 4 silver medals, 7 bronze. So they actually had fewer medals. They had 10 fewer medals total than the United States. But that still put them into third place because of their gold medals. That's how most of the time it's ranked. How many gold medals you get depends on where you end up. Germany was in second place with 12 gold medals. And then interestingly enough, Norway came in first place with 16 gold medals, eight silver medals, and 13 bronze medals for a total of 37 medals in total, which is very impressive. I guess it shouldn't be surprising considering that Norway is such a snowy, cold country and the people up there are big, tall, muscular athletes and it sort of puts them at an advantage, I have to say, during the Winter Olympics. So it's not surprising. I didn't go back to check to see how many Winter Olympics places like Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Germany, and and the Netherlands, all these countries, I would bet that they have a history of doing very well at these Olympic, well, these Winter Olympic Games, I should say. So anyway, I hope you got a chance to catch some of the Olympics. I really loved it. There was one particular moment that I remember specifically, and that was these sisters that were these downhill skiers where the skiers ski extremely fast. And their goal, they're not jumping or anything crazy, but their goal is just to get down this course that takes them about three minutes to get down. And they're going like these incredible, dangerous speeds in that competition. I was watching at this moment where the two Italian sisters were actually in first and second place. They were going to win gold and silver, and it was going to be this big moment. And there was like two other competitors right behind them. These other women, one was from Switzerland, and the other one I think was from Germany or no, the Czech Republic. And anyway, so the Swiss skier, she beat both of the sisters. So she pushed them both back into silver and bronze. It would have been really amazing to watch those two sisters take home first and second place in the same exact competition in the same sport. That would have been, I I guarantee you, the Italians would have gone crazy for that. But anyway, didn't happen. But there were a lot of moments like that. And I just enjoyed the Olympics. I hope you got to enjoy them as well. And now the next Winter Olympics will be in Cortina, 
and Milan. In fact, I just wrote an article about where is Cortina, because a lot of people don't know where Cortina is. I didn't know where Cortina was until about four years ago. Alessandro, when we were here visiting his family, we went and visited Cortina. We drove up to Cortina and I remember seeing that that was where they had held the 1956 Winter Olympics. And so anyway, they're going to have the Olympic Games here in 2026. So I don't know if I'm going to still be podcasting by then, but I've always dreamed of going to watch some Olympic Games live. And I was thinking, you know, that might be a really, really fun time to go watch the Olympics. I mean, that's four years from now. Who knows what's going to be happening in the world and in my life and and all of that. But that's a dream. You know, who knows how it's all going to evolve. But if I do happen to go to those Olympic Games and I've got a YouTube channel, well, I'll be taking you along with me to enjoy that. So anyway, fun things to think about for the future. So in last week's episode, I mentioned that my new website was having some technical problems. So after spending many hours this past week, almost every day this past week was spent trying to rework and refigure all of these articles and the computer and the blog and anyway, the whole, all the settings, everything, I I finally got it back where it needs to be. And I'm going to be posting a brand new article about real news from Italy, which is a section of that website. So the best way for you to reach the website is go to imovingtoitaly.com. When you're there, automatically you're going to be prompted to share your email address. Then you go to the page that's called blog. And now I have it linked to my new website. So The great thing about going to imovingtoitaly.com first, sharing your email address, and then clicking on the blog there, it'll take you to my new website, which I'm really calling a digital magazine or an online magazine. It's just a place where I write articles. I've shared with you before, I don't really love the term blog. I think it's kind of a kind of an ugly term. So the great thing about allroadsleadtoitaly.com, which is the actual address of my new website, the great thing about All Roads Lead to Italy, that's kind of an all-encompassing place that's not just the name of my podcast. And it's really not even about me. I mean, I, I and some of my other contributing writers, I'm certainly going to be the driving force behind it. But it's not so much about me and it's not so much about moving to Italy. It's about all things Italian. So all roads lead to Italy. It's basically a place for people who around the world who are English speakers, who are interested in Italian products, Italian news, Italian articles, all things Italian. It's a place for them to go and have a resource for all of those things. In the future, when I'm doing interviews, I'm going to be sharing articles and videos of people that I interview. So it's all going to be there. So that's the new hub. That's where everything's going to be located moving forward. So you can certainly visit allroadsleadtoitaly.com directly, or you can go and go through the back way, which is to go to the the podcast website. Let me collect your email there so that I can then put you on my mailing list and then let you know anytime I write a new article or share a new edition of Real News from Italy. So anyway, I hope that wasn't too confusing. (laughs) Okay, so I want to move on to an update about Ukraine. Okay, so 
I started my new, as I shared with you, I'm now in level two of Italian. And so I started level two last week. I have to say it's a lot more difficult. I'm having to take it a lot more seriously. I'm investing a lot more time into the homework and it's great. But in that new class is there's a student who is a 60, I think she's about a 62 year old woman. She's tiny. She's everything about her is tiny. She brings these tiny little pencils. She brings these ti- this tiny little notebook. She's personally tiny. She wears these tiny little shoes and her hair is like this tiny short little hair. <laughs> But she's very sweet and she speaks really, really good Italian. Everything, her accent is great, but she's from Ukraine. She's been living here for 10 years. And I asked her in the last class, I think some of my other students and the teacher, we've all been kind of interested in what her opinion is because she's from Ukraine. And Ukraine is kind of this whole Russian-Ukraine situation right now is at the forefront of a lot of people's minds but especially people in Europe. And I'll explain why in just a moment. But anyway, I asked this woman what her opinion was. Does she still have family there? And what is her opinion of like Putin and, and all the stuff? And she, we didn't have time to get into it too much. I'll talk to her, I'm sure, as the class goes on. And as I get to know her a little bit better, I'll ask her more. And you know, as the situation in Ukraine unfolds, there will be more to share with you. But she definitely had nothing good to say about Putin. Surprise, surprise. You could tell that it was a situation that was very concerning to her. And it just kind of really brought it to a like real human being that I know who has family living there and who's from there and who this personally impacts. So that was very interesting to talk to her and get her very quick kind of version on how she feels about the situation. As I learn more from her, hopefully I'm able to have some conversations with her moving forward. Her Italian is much better than mine because she's been here for 10 years. So she really, she's good, but she said she's in this class because I think she tested into this class because she's she's so proficient at Italian, but what she said she's not good at is spelling and writing in Italian. So that's what she's there for. So everybody's kind of there for different reasons. I'm there for everything. (laughs) I'm there for reading, writing, punctuation, grammar, pronunciation, vocabulary, you name it. I'm there for every reason you could possibly be in a language course. (laughs) But anyway, so right now the Ukraine situation really is Europe gets a lot of their natural gas and other resources from Russia. And if Russia does invade Ukraine, then there's going to be big sanctions placed on Russia by the United States and all these other countries. And so sanctions could could really restrict the amount of resources that Europe is able to get directly from Russia, because they're going to try to punish Russia and squeeze Russia and put economic pressure on Russia for for doing this and for this invasion of Ukraine. And so in doing so, they're going to cause the energy prices in Italy, which are they've gone up 60% in just the past year. And Italians are really suffering with these high energy costs, gas prices, electrical prices, natural gas, it's all up right now. And so anyway, that's kind of what's really directly affecting the lives of Italians and other Europeans 
Italy is one of the countries in Europe that produces the least amount of its own and refines the least amount of its own natural natural resources like gas and petroleum and stuff. They have to buy those from other countries. Italy has lots of its own resources as far as food, lumber, agriculture, you know, wine, clothing, manufacturing, lots of things, but they don't have a lot of natural resources in natural gas and so on. And unfortunately, because of some very poor decisions about the way things are being handled at the moment in the United States, the United States is not even in a position to handle its own needs for energy, let alone helping out its allies in Europe like Italy. So it's just, it's a tumultuous situation, and I'll do my best to keep you updated about how things are going and how that's going to affect life in Italy. And those of you who are considering moving here, I'm sure it's on your mind as well. So anyway, I'll be keeping you up to date as best I can each week. So in last week's episode, I mentioned that I was going to be sharing with you about the Italian mafia. Now, I don't make a whole lot of episodes that are just information-based episodes. This podcast, as you know by now, is very much a story-based podcast. It's a story of a fumbling, bumbling, clueless American (laughs) making his way through his new life in Italy. Now, there are a lot of wonderful, really wonderful podcasts that are much more information-based. There are ones that talk about Italian food. There's ones that talk about different regions, that talk about wine, some that are specifically just for learning Italian, others that are all interviews. There's a lot of different types of podcasts. And I'm not trying to be those kind of podcasts. And those podcasts are wonderful. You should be listening to them. They are very informative and you can learn a lot. You can probably learn a lot more specifics about Italy from those if that's what you want. But I think that you are probably listening to this podcast because it's kind of a blend of really, really heavy on the story side, but you're also learning things as I learn them. So the reason I'm not just cramming a bunch of information into each episode about, I don't know, let's say the Italian auto industry or the Italian manufacturing industry in the northern part of Italy, or why I don't talk about, you know, the production of pasta. You know, I'm not cramming all this stuff into each episode. I'm giving you more of a personal story, the story that if you've been listening from the beginning, that you know started that first time I sat down in New York at my house in New York right after I sold it. And I just had a couple days left in New York and I sat down without really being prepared and just started recording. And so the story I've just been sharing with you throughout. Now, when I share information with you, which I've had a number of episodes that I do share information. Well, oftentimes those are when I'm traveling. I don't have anything live from Italy to share with you, so I, sh- I do a pre-recorded episode where I share something that's of interest, I think, to you, and it's certainly something that's of interest to me as I learned it. So one of the things that I have been recently interested in, I've always been interested in it, but I've, I've been more interested in a slightly different way, and that is the Italian Mafia. A few weeks ago, when we were watching the San Remo Music Festival, the host of San Remo, Amadeus, he got a phone call from the president of Italy, the newly re-elected president of Italy, Mattarella, and he thanked him for the fact that he had 
on one of the nights, the five nights of the San Remo Music Festival, he had honored this judge. And when that was being aired on TV and he was talking about this, this Italian judge named Borsellino, Paolo Borsellino, I asked Alessandro, I'm like, why is he talking about this judge and why did the president of Italy call and thank the host of this show for bringing up the, you know, this, this story of this judge? And he's like, well, Alessandro told me, well, that's a really interesting story because that's, that's a very important part of Italians' recent history. And that man, Paolo Borsellino, was a judge, a magistrate in southern Italy, in Sicily, actually, Palermo, which is where he grew up, and him and his friend, who was also a judge, so from childhood, these two men were friends, they both became judges, and they took it upon themselves at great risk to themselves and their families to really resist the mafia, which at that time, in the 70s, 80s, and into the early 90s, the mafia in southern Italy was very, very dangerous, very out of control. They were they had infiltrated a lot of the police and the local governments and the, some of the other judges. And so Paolo Borsellino took it upon himself and his, his friend was assassinated. And even though he had bodyguards, he still they still got to him, the, the friend judge. And then Borsellino, he was assassinated as well. There's a couple of really great films that were made in the last 20 years about this. One of them, I believe, was made in the late 90s, and that one is on YouTube. You can watch it for free, and I'm going to put a link to that one. It's about three hours long. There are no English subtitles, unfortunately. The one that I just most recently watched was made in 2012, and it is a little shorter. It's very well done, and it does have English subtitles. So I recommend that you definitely watch those if you're interested at all in this topic. It's good for your Italian practice, and it'll really help you understand how grave of a situation and how traumatizing this was for Italy, especially Sicilians, but all of Italy. And this was a period of time that, you know, mafia in southern Italy and the Camorra in Naples and the other ones in southern Italy, they were really at their peak of power. And they were kind of running unchecked. There were very few people that were willing to stand up to them. People would get bought off, police officers, other judges, you know, local magistrates. People were... It was just a very, very corrupt and very dangerous time in history. And it was really not that long ago, if you consider that these two judges were assassinated in 1992. So I was asking Alessandro about this. He was only about seven years old when this happened, so he doesn't have a lot of personal memories. But of course, he's been hearing about all of this his whole life. He grew up in Naples and the Camorra which is what the kind of the branch of the organized crime mafia that happens to be located in Naples and in that region. So he was aware of it growing up. He never had any personal interactions. And when he got a little older anyway, it was after this period, which is when hundreds and hundreds of mafia members were put in prison and things started turning around in the right direction. So anyway, if you go to... I'm moving to Italy.com and you go to the Nathan's Favorite Things page. I'm going to link both of these videos, the free one from YouTube that you can watch, 
And I'm also going to link the other one that you can get on Amazon Prime. The name of the film that has the English subtitles that's really well done that you can get on Amazon Prime is called I Cinque Sette Giorni. That means the 57 days. And that refers to the 57 days in between when the first judge was assassinated and the second one. And it's a heartbreaking story, I have to say. But it's a beautiful story, too. And it's a story about love and about sacrifice and about family. It's just... It's really, really important if you want to understand this particular period of Italian history. So anyway, check it out. I'm going to have the links on there. You can check out either one or both of those films, and I highly recommend it. But anyway, stepping back, I want to talk about the understanding, the very, very brief overview of how I've been able, through my research, my reading, and talking to other Italians and and kind of just trying to understand what exactly Italian mafia even means. What is it what did it mean? Where did it come from? And what does it mean today? And so I'm going to kind of break it up into three different groups. That's how I've been able to organize in in my mind at least. So going back to the 1800s, Sicily had just recently joined as part of Italy, the, the, the peninsula of Italy. And so that kind of became part of Italy. But the island was kind of, in many ways, kind of on its own. And they didn't get a lot of support from the centralized Italian government. And that's been kind of the way a lot of the southern parts of Italy have been. And they've been kind of ignored a little bit by the more wealthy northern parts of Italy, like Turin, Milan, and all those, all the northern cities up here, the area of Piedmont, that's where the power really was at that time in Italy. And so they cared, of course, more about northern Italy than about southern Italy, and, and especially the islands like Sardinia and Sicily. The powers that be just didn't really care. So there was this sort of like power vacuum and there were the need for people to be protected, the need for people to have certain infrastructure and different things handled. And so there kind of rose up different families that were kind of in- instrumental in helping out their local communities. And it started out actually as kind of a good thing. It started out as a positive thing, sort of almost a community organization to help fellow community members and countrymen and people in Sicily. But like many things, power corrupts. We see a lot of power being corrupted around the world at this very moment. It's always been like that, though, in human history. You give someone too much power, you get people like Putin, and I hate to say it, but even people like Justin Trudeau in Canada, I believe, is power-hungry right now. And when you can see what happens when someone has too much power, usually they end up abusing it. And so that's what happened with the mafia. So the mafia had kind of kind of just continued to grow and and evolve. And as it grew and evolved, the certain mafia would fight against other members of the mafia. And it just became this power struggle. And it became kind of a dangerous thing. And after World War One, and, you know, from the from the late 1800s into the 
you know, the first couple of decades of the 1900s and and beyond even, a lot of Italians wanted to get out of Italy because life just wasn't good. There were a couple powerful families in each region and each area controlling things and, and controlling a lot of the wealth. And a lot of other people were really suffering. And so that's why you had a lot of people leaving Italy to go to places like other places countries in Europe or the United States got a lot of Italians. That's why there's so many Italians in the United States right now, second generation, third generation Italians that are trying to get their citizenship to come back. Anyway, as things progressed, the the mafias in these different regions, I'm just going to refer to them as mafias. So as things progressed, the mafia in these different regions just got progressively more and more powerful until it came to this head in the 1970s, 80s, and early 90s. And by then, there was, you know, there was the element of drugs, and it just became this very violent, out-of-control situation in Italy. So, then you had that moment in Italian history that these films I just shared with you, these films were made about, and these judges, Paolo Borsellino and his his friend who was a fellow judge and a lot of other people began resisting and that was kind of a breaking point of the the maximum power of the mafia kind of was broken and fractured now it doesn't mean that there's no more mafia it doesn't mean that all these regions don't still have you know their their mafia activity happening they there is but it's different now and so that's sort of section one about the mafia. That's kind of like mafia history without getting into too many specific dates and names, just to let you know how mafia started. It started off as a good thing, and then it kind of evolved into something more corrupt and much more dangerous. So then from the period of the 90s into kind of the the next 15 or 20 years or so, the mafia kind of changed its tactics and kind of went into two different directions. So now in modern day Italy, it seems to me from the way I've been able to understand it, that there are two different types of mafia influences. One of them is very small, fractured, sort of like groups that get into an area and they have the people in that area Maybe, you know, they they try to band together to try to help improve roads or infrastructure because some of the local government is corrupt as well. And they they take government money from, you know, tax money or money from the European Union and they don't spend it correctly on the infrastructure. And so you get people in local mafias now that are trying to, this would be the good side of maybe what they're doing. There's a lot of people that would argue that there's not a lot of good, but some people would say there's some things that they are still doing that's helping out their communities because they have to combat some of the corruption that's happening in government. Italy does have a, cor- a government corruption problem. I'm going to talk more about that when I talk about the other side of, of modern day mafia. But anyway, so you get different mafia members that are trying to either become politicians, trying to become a mayor or become magistrates or become people or try to befriend those people to try to help convince them that, listen, we need help for our people. But they also get into business. They sort of terrorize people a little bit like, you know, give us 
give us a payment for protection or else we're going to blow your car up or we're going to do something. There's not a lot of that that goes on these days because the police is a lot stronger. The police and and the people, people tend to not protect mafia the way they used to. That's why the, the general population of Italy is very grateful for those judges back in the early 90s that sacrificed their lives because they really sort of broke the stranglehold that the mafia had over the country. So now you get these sort of little fractured groups. I was reading this one article. They kind of refer it to it as a gypsy mafia in the kind of Rome, that city that we went to have dinner before we flew out of Rome in November, the city of Ostia, that city has the sort of gypsy mafia. So I was reading about these couple of reporters for La Repubblica newspaper, which is the newspaper I read every week, and share the newspaper stories and the news articles about Italy with you all. So two of these reporters, they have had to get bodyguards and they have had to get you know, protection because they are being threatened by these local mafia. So it's still there but it's on a much smaller local level and the mafia knows that they can't really grow up to be this monstrous ultra powerful force that they were back in the 90s and the 80s so they they kind of threaten people a lot they're bullies but it's just not they're not murdering people the same way that they used to there's not it's just not as strong it's just not as persistent, but it's still corrupt. It's still a problem, but it's just not. And it's also not probably something that you as a tourist would ever encounter because you don't live here. Even me as a foreigner living here doing non-business related things. I mean, I'm, I'm building business here, but I'm, you know, part of it is still located in the United States and it's just a completely different situation. I don't have products that they're trying to, that I'm manufacturing, that they want to cut of. There's nothing really that a foreigner is probably going to ever encounter. And and so you could live your whole life in Italy as a foreigner, even if you learn to speak Italian, and even if you try your best to become integrated into Italian society, you may never ever, and very likely will never have a personal experience with the mafia. My neighborhood dog is trying to be part of today's episode. Anyway, I don't have time to wait for the dog to stop barking, so I'm going to keep talking. So if you hear the dog barking in the background, just know that that's it's one of the surrounding sounds from Italy this week. <laughs> so, okay, so those are the first two groups, the sort of the history of how the mafia started and then sort of what modern day fractured small sort of little small potatoes mafia is now in in Italy. And then you have something that is, in many ways, a much greater danger, and in other ways, not really dangerous to human beings in a way of causing them physical harm. And that is that the mafia now is more like this gigantic financial organization, almost. You could almost think of it like a lot of people think about BlackRock, you know, that gigantic hedge fund that owns so much around the world that a lot of people say is super corrupt. You could consider the mafia, which has hundreds of billions of dollars at its disposal now, 
the Italian mafia, what it's morphed into, that's the most powerful arm, they don't go around bombing people. They don't go around hurting individuals or threatening people or making people have bodyguards. Now they are doing things more like kind of behind the scenes pulling the strings and getting politicians in their pockets and buying up businesses in towns and using those businesses to launder their money and to to sort of clean their money from all their nefarious business organizations and things that they're running you know whether it's drugs a lot of drugs that come into Europe happen through this mafia and so there's just not a it it's changed it's sort of morphed into this this big super wealthy super powerful organization of influence and one of the ways that Italy as a government is combating those who are still resisting this and fighting this influence that this new evolved mafia is they're going after the people who the mafia is using like these people who go to Harvard or Yale in the United States or Oxford and Cambridge in England that then come down here and then establish themselves as these reputable business owners and businessmen the mafia will use those people sort of to be their front men. And they're not necessarily doing anything legally wrong. They've got all these lawyers protecting them, but they are sort of the face of the mafia and the mafia is using them to shield what they're doing, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of like legitimate looking businesses that actually are owned by mafia now but it's a different breed of mafia. It's not the same. And so, again, it's the kind of mafia that it has an impact on small towns and, and cities in that, not even just small towns, but just cities in general, because they'll come in and they'll buy up these businesses, but they don't really need these businesses to make a profit because the business has one job, and that is to launder the money. And I'm not going to get into what, you know, all the technical details of how you launder money, but if you have a business then that's how you can take a bunch of cash that you have that you've gotten, they call it black money or black market money and and or drug money or whatever. You can sort of clean it by running it through legitimate businesses. So what happens and how that hurts local communities is that those local communities, they need their business to actually succeed. They need to make a profit in order to pay the rent and feed their families and and employ their employees. They need that. But when they're competing against these gigantic mafia-owned businesses, they can offer more competitive prices. These local, honest, like mom and pop, let's call them like mom and pop type businesses, they aren't able to compete. They aren't able to to compete at all against what you know these big money mafia are able to do. So anyway, I don't know if that helped you understand the mafia, the past, the recent past, and then the current day kind of versions of what the mafia is. There's a lot of people in the European Union who are very concerned about the corruption of the mafia in Italy. And it'll be interesting to see moving forward how that affects life for Italians and 
you know, how Italy is a very wealthy country. It's like the eighth wealthiest country in the world. There's a lot of money and a lot of power here in Italy. But there's also a lot of corruption as well. And there's a lot of people that just don't, it's almost like they're, they're in despair over knowing what to do because they feel helpless. And the average citizens, it's understandable how helpless they feel because they feel like no matter who they vote into office, they still have the same problems. The, the mafia still gets their dirty hands on people. So I, I guess the reason I'm sharing this with you today is so that you can be informed about what's going on here. Now, it doesn't mean I don't love Italy still doesn't mean that I think Italy is a terrible place to live. I think that Italy is actually a wonderful place to live. I think you just have to be informed and make a decision based on reality, not just on some La Dolce Vita, you know, under the Tuscan sun view of Italy, because that's not reality either. Take everything with a grain of salt and just be realistic. And don't be too overly emotional in how you look at Italy. And it's very easy for foreigners, and certainly Americans, but I think Australians and and people in other parts of the world to look at Italy and see just absolute perfection and beauty. Italy could be the one of the absolutely top, wealthiest, most incredible countries in the world that could do even more incredible things than they currently do if they could rid themselves of this, this stranglehold of the mafia and the corruption. I don't know. I've told you guys many times before that I don't trust governments. Governments always get corrupted. It's just the way it's always been. Governments don't usually last very long. Then there's a revolution and then things kind of get better and then slowly things get worse again until there's another revolution. And that's just the way human history has been. It's unfortunate. There's just always even though most human beings are good people, there's just enough evil ones out there that ruin it for everybody. And I think that's kind of what's going on in Italy. So anyway, that's my kind of quick take on Italian mafia. As I write articles moving forward at All Roads Lead to Italy, and I share more news about Italy. I'm going to continue to share more. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to share more specifics. And I'll share that with you on this podcast or my YouTube channel or wherever I'm sharing information with you. I will share more as I learn more. But that is what the mafia is in Italy, what it means for you. And I hope, I hope you found that interesting. I hope you found it helpful. Okay, so I am getting closer to being finished with this Italian book by Luigi Parandello, Un Matrimonio Ideale, An Ideal Marriage. And I thank goodness because I don't think I'm going to share any more of these old Italian classics with you. They're so laborious to read. Alessandro was reading it the other day with me and he's like, there's a lot of Italians that don't even know what these words mean. So this is kind of old Italian language and it's been an interesting experience, but I'm going to save these for when my Italian has improved a little bit and I'm a much more proficient Italian speaker. So I'm on the hunt for some other books in Italian that I can share with you that are easier for me to read, that are more modern books that were written more recently. I think next week is going to be my final reading of this book, and then I'll share a new book with you. But 
I'm going to read a section of this book. And where we are is now this father who has who was traveling, who came back and saw that his daughter had grown into this woman. And she was this, this very tall woman, very formosa, which means she had a figure. And she's this grown-up woman now. And he's kind of in shock. And as a father... He sort of goes into protection mode where he wants to protect his daughter and and his brain, he starts seeing her as as a problem in some ways, because in those days, you know, a father, it really was, you know, the, the way things were when this book was written, you know, 150 years ago or whatever, this was the way that, you know, your main goal for a daughter was to get her an advantageous marriage whether you were at the top of society or middle class or below, you always wanted your daughter to marry the best person she could marry. And so this father's brain has been kind of, he's hes just kind of like seeing things, even though his it, the, apparently the reality is his daughter is very beautiful. But he's not seeing it that way because he's looking at her through the eyes of a father. So he's seeing her as this girl who's who's grown up and and he's he's like it's almost weird. It's like it's in another it's also this strange Italian literature thing where his the daughter is beautiful, but the father is seeing her as as ugly because his brain is like, I don't know, doing this weird game with him where it's like Instead of instead of him acknowledging the beauty of his daughter, he's like he's like saying, "Oh man, how are we going to find a husband for her? You know, everyone's going to see her as 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 this ugly girl." I don't I don't really know how to describe it except for the fact that he's sort of like taking this situation and almost making it more complicated than it needs to be. In reality, his daughter's gorgeous and she'll probably have no trouble finding a spouse. He's blowing it out of proportion and making it some bigger deal than it needs to be. So, anyway, that's what this section is about. And he's talking about his daughter. And so I'm going to read this to you. And then I'll do my best to describe what I just read to you after I'm finished. Questo riflessioni come le feci io allora da una peso senza dubbio aveva dovuto farle anche lei. La povera Margherita per trane la conseguenze che nel supreme regioni e più per sua disgrazia era essa non avrebbe tornato mai un marito, un popolo, sì un acero, un cero. Ma ogni giovernato guardanola le avrebbe detto Cala prima, bella mia, cala, cala. E come poteva calare, povera Mogherita? Okay, so what the father is saying basically is, again, he's sort of bemoaning the fact that his daughter is this very large, tall woman now. And even though she is beautiful in reality, he's comparing her to a tree. He's thinking people are going to look at her and think she's like a tree. And so he mentions un popolo, un acero, un cero, which is those those are three different types of trees. One's a poplar, one's an acer, which is maple, and then cero, which is a cherry. And so he's basically saying they're going to look at her and they're going to say, 
Me, Bella, Mia, Carla, Carla, you need to lose weight. I don't understand this whole thing about losing weight. Um, but anyway, as you can see, this is why I'm slightly frustrated <laughs> with reading this book because it's so bizarre and it's just not, it's not something I'm able to relate to. And I'm and between you and me, I'm not really enjoying it very much. But anyway, so it's, I'm sure it's good for me. I'm sure it's stretching me and stretching my Italian. But anyway, so that's, that's what happened with uh, this this man who is trying to find a an ideal marriage for his daughter. So I will share the conclusion of this book with you next week and let you know how the story ends and if and who the daughter ends up marrying and how it worked out with her and the father. So anyway, thanks for tolerating my my Italian reading there. Now, before I get into the surrounding sounds for this week's episode, I want to quickly thank our sponsor, ExpressVPN, for sponsoring our show and for offering three months free to our listeners. It's a special offer specifically for the I'm Moving to Italy listening family. And if you want to make sure your Wi-Fi is protected, your identity is protected from hackers, and that you're able to use your streaming services while traveling, make free phone calls while traveling, and have peace of mind that you're not being tracked by big tech companies. If you're thinking about moving to Italy, you must have a VPN. It is an absolute must. You get to keep your American phone number or your Australian phone number, your British phone number, whatever you're, wherever you're from, you can keep that same phone number so your friends and family, everybody can still reach you. You don't ever need to get an Italian phone number if you don't want to. Most Italians communicate over WhatsApp or on messaging apps, so you don't ever need to worry about getting an Italian phone number. But it's really important for most people to keep their phone number from where they're where their family and their friends are from so they can still be reached. I get phone calls every week. I spend hours on the phone every week talking to my friends and family in New York and California and all over the United States. And I'm able to do that thanks to the ExpressVPN. So go to immovingtoitaly.com. You can either check out on the homepage. I have a link. Or you can go to Nathan's Favorite Things and check out the link and a little bit more information about ExpressVPN there. So check it out. Highly recommend it. It's an absolute game changer and it's a, it's a must have if you're moving to Italy or moving anywhere in the world, to be honest with you. So check it out. Okay, that brings us to our surrounding sounds for this week's episode. So what I'm going to be sharing with you are these sounds. First, I'm going to share a quick little segment of me asking my classmate. I still haven't understood what her name is because it's hard for me to pronounce, so I'm going to figure that out. So unfortunately, I can't tell you what her name is, but the woman from Ukraine who's in our class, and I'm going to try to share with you a bit of the sound of her responding about Putin, and she's saying, you know, Putin, I think, is the whole world, tutto mundo. The whole world uh, doesn't like Putin, and she's just kind of giving a quick little little her opinion about it to me and my fellow classmate Claudia, who is from Brazil. So that's one of the sounds that I have. Then I have some sounds from the Italian Olympics. I have the sound of those downhill skiers, those sisters who were going to be hopefully winning gold and silver that ended up getting beat by the Swiss and some of the other skiers. And then I have the sound of watching the TV show Ceposta Perte, 
But we went to Alessandro's cousin, the same cousin who had that dog that tried to attack us. We went back to their house. Can you believe it? We went to their apartment this past weekend. (laughs) The dog was not there. They kind of wanted to make up for what happened before. They made this beautiful dinner and the aunt and uncle and Nona was there. And so there was, and the baby was there. So we had this wonderful evening of time together with the Italian family. It was really, really great. And after dinner, we were we moved into the living room. And because we didn't have a dog trying to attack us the whole time, we were able to really enjoy ourselves. And I was sitting right next to Nona. And there was a, an episode on Ciposta Perte, which is that TV show, which means you've got mail. And this old man who's been on the show multiple times, he's 92 years old. He's trying to find a wife because he wants to give all, he's a wealthy man, he wants to give all his money to this woman, but he's trying to find this older single woman to marry him so that he basically can spend his last few years of life with her and then give her all his wealth when he's finished. And he's, this, the host has brought on so many of these older single women to try to get them to agree to at least be his girlfriend, (laughs) but none of them are, are accepting. And so Nona, was watching this show in total consternation. She's like, she could not believe. What is vecchio, lui a vecchio? She's like saying, he's old, he's old. This is crazy. What's wrong with these? It's Why is he wanting a wife? He's so old. He doesn't need a wife. I can understand a companion, but a wife? Anyway, so I've got the clip of Nona just giving her very strong opinion about how absurd this is that this old man is trying to get a wife or a girlfriend at the age of 92. The final sound I have is a clip from that film about Paolo Borsellino, the judge who was assassinated. And the name of the film again is I Cinque Sette Giorni, the 57 Days. So just a quick clip from that film. So enjoy those surrounding sounds and I will be back afterwards to say goodbye. Putin. 
amor yo hay mucha familia en tú hay mucha familia en Ucrania si presenta però con 4 centesimi di ritardo, ma ha perso i 27 nella terza parte della rock. Lei è capace di recuperare, eh? attenzione perché lei è capace anche di recuperare questo tratto finale. Buckner e Gagnon l'hanno fatto, vediamo se ci riesce anche Nadia De Lago, aveva 4 centesimi solo di ritardo contro l'1, 32, 87, ce e la fa, come se ce la fa, ce la fa la grande, 47 centesimi. Rimane stupita anche Elena, mi hanno detto ma come ho fatto già così bene, è vero che comunque ho visto che la linea più sfogata ha perso destra scendendo all'ingresso del canoning si sta pulendo un po' quindi le prime che sono passate lì hanno pagato pegno adesso invece purtroppo per quelle che stanno purtroppo per Elena ma per quelle che stanno per arrivare diventa una linea pulita anche quella guarda la guarda dell'acqua è la prima volta che si vede un'atleta un così contenta per un'altra è la sorella un anno più giovane Nadia De Lago in questo momento è in testa alla classifica 1.32.44 parte finale da urlo ma tutta la discesa della gardenese è stata fantastica per compagnia sì è vero però no no per sposata che si possono fare? Beh, se non ve la penso io, sì. Ah, sì, vabbè, che te ne Allora, per venire qui, perché vuoi dire un'amicizia, un reddito, perché io sono... E che ci può dare la chiesa, chi? Si sa, per l'amicizia, che vuoi fare la chiesa? Si persone anziane, si uomini. a cercare qualcuno per essere servite, ma chi ci sono più vecchi di esso? <ride> no, senso. Adesso io devo far venire e vedere la cosa della posta di questa Paola e di questa Giovanna. però è È singole, ma sono bella. Mamma mia, quello che Mamma mia, ma che Sì, ma che si gioca che fitta fosse? No, non morirò. C'è forse da te. Io un invito per lei da parte della signora Maria Di Filippi. Lei è single. Questo è per lei, signora. Adesso che figlie. Ah, non è bambingherline, capito? Ma perché se pure si pigliano una nata vecchia, no. la vecchia non è buona, ma qui è. Non è, non ha proprio si cai questo pizzerinella e che è poco mai. Ma questa è per la donna, questa qua. Ah, non è proprio ce l'è. Questa qua? Eh. E ma che la vecchia? A che sei dato può fare? Se non metto la vecchia dai. Ma che si può fare? Eh, ma che ne faccio? Il fai è chiaro con la situazione. Amicizia, i bicchiarelli si fanno compagnia, si pigliano un caffè. Sì, è vero. A che se dà? Non vecchio. Sì. Non vecchio non si può mantenere il suo culto che mantiene la moglie, la moglie mantiene un vecchio. A che le dà sua. Sì, sì. Quindi devono cercare a qualcuno che dice, sai con mio padre. Parlano come per esempio, se tiene qualcosa quando ci vanno i figli tu o te la tanto mese, perché a chi le dà? Eh, sì. Se deve essere chiari. Eh, sì. Vero. Eh, perché io per esempio, dico io, io sono una vecchia chi sono, lo servo, faccio per qualcosa. Eh, 
quando noi giovani, una che lo va a faticare, qualche soldi, mangiamo. Sì, sì. Papà diceva, mi dava chiaia, io non ce la faccio manco per me, tu vuoi che mi metti la persona vicina. Tu dici, no? Dico io, siamo tutti uguali. Sì, è vero, no, no. Sai niente di quello che sta succedendo a Caltanissetta? Tinebra si è insediato, adesso comincia le indagini su Capace perché la competenza è sua. Quando ti sentirà? Sotto a 90. Ci giocavo io quando ero bambino, ma pensavo fosse sparito. Che è sotto? Sotto a 90. Quattordici, settanta Fate fare un tiro. Qui chi sa giocare tu? Chi? Io, a sotto 90, un campione sono. E tu? No, oh, io sono troppo giovane, non ci ho giocato mai. Ma vero, dice. Lasciamo fare. Allora, sotto 90. Tu tiri tre numeri, se vai sopra 90 vinci, se vai sotto perdi, che facciamo? 500 lire? No, poche sono. E quando vuoi giocare? Mille lire. No. Ah, mille lire, vai. Allora... Vai, va bene, va. Quanti? 40 sezione 19. 90, precisi. Ne hai vinto. No, ho perso, con 90 si perde. Vabbè, a chi le devo dare? Anna, Ecco qua, lo do a lui, eh? Ha dei giocare? Eh no, mi dispiace, non c'ho tempo. Eh, non c'hai i piccoli. <ride> Grazie, pure quelli. I hope you enjoyed those sounds from this week's episode. And I want to thank you so much for coming back here and spending another Monday with me. I look forward to this every week, and I have been getting such wonderful messages from you as always. I love hearing from new listeners. We just had the country of Costa Rica join our family of listeners, so welcome to Costa Rica. So glad to have you here, and I want to thank you for just being part of my family of listeners. You are the most important part of my week in so many ways. Being able to share this podcast with you has helped me personally to document my journey here in Italy, but it's helped me to organize my thoughts. It's helped me to research things that I want to share with you, and it's made me feel like I truly do have a family of people a supportive family that is is behind me and is interested and is rooting for me as I go through my day-to-day fumblings and bumblings here in Italy that I, that I share with you regularly. So thank you for being here. I, I don't ever want you to think that I'm just taking it for granted or that I don't realize how truly, truly blessed I am to have you here And I do truly consider you to be family. So thank you, and thank you for your your wonderful reviews on the podcast. Thank you for your messages. I love hearing from you, so please keep the messages coming. Share this podcast with people who you think will love it. And thanks again for coming back. 
So wherever you are listening to the sound of my voice today, I hope you're healthy and well. I look forward to being back here with you next week. So until then, take care. God bless. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Thank you.